Hello, friends. Michael Yusuf here. Thank you so much for connecting with Leading the Way and listening to this message. The entire team here at Leading the Way is committed to passionately proclaiming the uncompromising truth of God's Word. And it cannot be done without your prayers and your support and your partnership. Learn how God has uniquely positioned leading the way to reach a world that is in desperate need of the gospel when you visit ltw.org. That is ltw.org. Thank you, and may God richly bless you as you seek to serve Him. If I define paradox in the classic sense, it's the apparent two contradiction, which in reality conceal profound truth. Apparent contradiction conceal profound truth. I'm not giving you a class in English grammar, but I'm going to come to why I'm saying this, because this is Christianity 101. See, the Bible is filled with paradoxes, and I'm going to show you a few case you don't know. Luke chapter 9, verse 24. Listen to what Jesus said. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, beloved, listen, you cannot find this, as I said, in any religion, philosophy, or so-called faith, other faith. Why? Because only the Christian faith is the truth. And the reason the Christian faith is the only truth is because the Christian faith is not a dogma, it's not a church, it's not a group of doctrine, it's not things to ascend to, but it's a person. Christianity is a person, and that is person is Jesus Christ, and Christ is the only truth, is the only way, and the only giver of eternal life. Yeah. Hear me right, please. Those of us who love and embrace the paradox of Christmas. Those of us who believe that God, the Creator God, became man can truly rejoice at Christmas time. Truly rejoice. Let me give you a quick history so you understand why this paradox of Christmas was so real to Dr. Luke as he was writing his gospel. Our Lord Jesus Christ was born during the reign of Augustus Caesar. During that time, Augustus Caesar was reigning supreme over all the Roman Empire. Augustus Caesar came to power after 20 years of horrible civil war. In those 20 years, they were marked by carnage and assassination and destruction of their enemies. Caesar Augustus became not only the supreme and undisputed leader of the known world at that time, but he brought glory and splendor and prosperity to the empire like never before or even since. And Dr. Luke, being a scientist and very meticulous and with the details, he is documenting exactly who, what, where for a reason. He's careful with the details. And he wanted the world to know that in his account of the birth of Jesus Christ, be understood in contrast to the world's power of the day, to the power of Augustus Caesar of the day. While the whole world was bowing to Caesar, God appeared in human flesh in obscurity. While the world, the known world at the time, 
was in bondage to Caesar. God appeared as a weak, helpless babe in Bethlehem of Judea. The contrast between the two is inescapable. The contrast is mind-boggling. One is at the height of power, the other in the depth of helplessness. One is the richest man on earth, the other is the poorest. One sleeping in Rome on a golden bed, the other in swaddling clothes in a barn. One is living surrounded by attendants and by servants, the other surrounded by animals. One was protected by a praetorian guard, the other helplessly laying in a manger. The contrast is astounding, and I hope you don't miss it. Question, why did Jesus, who descended from the peak of glory, and that's not the glory of an empire or country or even the world. This is the glory, the universe. Why did Jesus, who descended from the glory of the universe, from the peak of glory to His lowly position? The answer is so that He may raise up from our lowly position every repentant sinner to His high position. The Word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty you might become rich. He's not talking about money. He's talking about everything. The Word of God in the New Testament is very clear. It's very clear. Jesus underwent human birth so that everyone who believe in Him alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, can undertake heavenly birth. Jesus, for whom there was no room in the inn, promised all who crown Him as Lord of their life and a master of their life and their only Savior and Lord, He promised them mansions in the sky with His Father in heaven. Jesus became a member of the human family so that every repentant sinner, everyone who comes to Him and places their faith in Him, become a member of the heavenly family. Jesus made Himself subject to others so that He may set His subject free. Jesus, though being His very nature God, and yet He did not count that equality with God the Father, something to be grabbed, not something to hold on to, never let go. But He let go willingly and came to our earth. Jesus, who had never, never, never laid aside His divinity, but He laid aside the splendor of His majesty so that He may give His believers divine nature. The Bible said that when the chief shepherd appears, we who are His servants and beloved children will receive the crown of glory that never fades. Never fades. Jesus, who laid aside His splendor and glory for thirty-three and one-third of a year as He walked the streets of Israel, so that all who place their faith in Him alone, they may receive permanent glory for all of eternity with Him. Jesus who had nowhere to lay his head, what the Bible said, but means he was homeless. He was homeless. Did so, so that everyone who believes in him inherits what he inherits, which is the universe. Jesus, who was only welcomed on earth by poor, lowly shepherds, 
will welcome all who are born again by believing in Him. He will be welcomed by His angels in heaven. Jesus said, There is greater joy in heaven among the angels when a sinner repents and become born again. Greater joy. Do you know that every time a sinner said, Lord, I'm a sinner, forgive me, forgive me, Jesus, come into my life as Savior, there is a party in heaven. The angels are celebrating. They're dancing. They're dancing and celebrating. Who is the sinner? Every one of us. Every one of us. The difference between the believers and non-believers is as believers, we acknowledge that we're a sinner and that we're helpless, that without Jesus Christ, we're heading for hell. And so we come to Him and say, give me your salvation that you offer and repent of my sins. That's the difference. That's the difference. While the baby Jesus was pursued by an evil and ruthless King Herod who senselessly killed all the babies in Bethlehem, just like we're doing with babies here in abortion in this country. Jesus Himself came from heaven to pursue the source of all evil, the big kahuna, Satan Himself. Beloved, listen to me. When you allow your mind to ponder these paradoxes, it will blow your mind. It is mind-boggling. And I've been doing this for years. I haven't stopped. I am always always amazed at the grace of God. I still do. I pray to God that I will keep doing until I go to glory. But my dear beloved friends, this is the wonder of Christmas. That's the wonder of Christmas. Not the cheap sentimentality about the baby Jesus and the miracle of Christmas and the spirit of Christmas and the magical power of Santa and, and the ho, 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 Christmas cheer. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> you know, they're just empty people trying to fill their lives with other things other than the real thing. But God became man so that He might invite men and women, boys and girls, to be the children of God. Listen to me. I'm aware of the fact the paradox of Christmas is offensive to some people. Did you know that? It's offensive. It's an offensive to some of my Muslim friends. How can Allah become a baby? No, there's no way. It's offensive to some people in the professing church, and they can't accept it. There's only one way to God, and it's in that baby that was born in Bethlehem. So what do they do? They want to create a Jesus that they like. A Jesus who agrees with them, that he would bless their immorality and their moral lifestyles. My prayer is that God will open some spiritual eyes so that you begin to comprehend the essence of the Christian faith. Jesus endured human birth so that he may give every repentant sinner a spiritual birth. Jesus, who is God of very God, occupied a stable so that every repentant sinner would occupy a mansion in the sky with His Father in heaven. Jesus, who is God Almighty, had an earthly mother so that every repentant sinner will have a heavenly Father. Jesus, who is the Creator God, becomes subject so that every repentant sinner can be set free from sin and guilt and pain and death. Jesus, who owns the universe, 
become poor so that every repentant sinner can be spiritually rich. Jesus, the Almighty God, become hunted by King Herod so that every repentant sinner will be rescued from being hunted by Satan. This is the paradox of Christmas. The paradox of Christmas is the incalculable price. Incalculable. There is no calculator in the world that can calculate that. The incalculable price that God paid for your sin and mine. Why? So that whomsoever, whomsoever, whomsoever would come and ask for his forgiveness can receive the real life. The real life. The real life. Amen. Give God glory. Now me. Give God glory. You say, Michael, what is that real life? Well, I'm glad you asked. I can't wait to tell you. See, here's a fact, and, and I know most of you will understand this. The average person is just existing. They're not living the real life. They're just existing. So when a tiny little virus that you cannot see, a tiny little virus sent the world in a tailspin, tailspin, the fear that I see in the eyes of people above their masks, the fear in the eyes, because they're not living the real life. They're just existing. But only those who have embraced the paradox of Christmas can have the real life. That is the life of peace and joy, contentment, regardless of the circumstances that we face. Only those who have experienced the power of Christ's eternal forgiveness know what real life is all about. And those are the people who are not only living the real life here and now, but they will live it for all of eternity with Jesus. Amen. Beloved, to those who have placed their full trust in Jesus, the real life is real whether they have abundance of material things or nothing at all. And I've been on both sides, trust me. I've known it on both sides. But these are just circumstances. Whether they have many things or nothing, whether they have health or lack thereof, whether they have been accepted or rejected by society, whether they have been loved or hated by others, we live the true life because of the paradox of Christmas. Well, let me conclude by introducing you to three things. I pray to God you'll never forget them. Don't ever forget those. First of all, here's the three things. Don't judge things by their appearance. Don't judge things by appearance. Can you say that with me? Don't Certainly, we've been learning this, haven't we, in the last year? Everything was hunky-dory, and the little virus came, and the world was held captives. Those of us who embrace the paradox of Christmas know that anything that impresses the world does not impress us, that anyone who causes the world to stand and take notice of them does not hold us in awe at all that famous celebrities will attract the paparazzis, <laughs> but not us. Uh, superstars will cause the weak swoon over them, but not us. 
Why? Because we know the paradox of Christmas. And if the paradox of Christmas teaches us anything, it teaches us not to judge by what? We now know that God hides His greatest gift in the poorest of packages. He wrapped His Son in a manger. So here's the first thing. Don't judge by appearance. The second thing I want to share with you is this. Don't judge the end of things by their beginning. Certainly the Bible tells us, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Don't dismiss things. Don't judge the end by the beginning. You see, this beginning of Jesus' earthly visit to the earth, that news would never have made it to the cable news networks. I promise you, somebody would have killed it before it got to the producer's desk. But today, the whole world stands still at the birth of Jesus. And that is not even the end of things yet. It's not the end yet. If you're going to judge the end by the beginning, wait until we really get to the end. And it looks to me, at least, we are closer than ever. Then you'll see the whole world is going to bow to Jesus. The whole world will fall at His feet. The whole world will recognize that He is God's only way to salvation. But sadly, it's going to be too late for some. I pray to God, not one person at the sound of my voice would experience that word, too late. Even though every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, many are going to be doing so from the agony and the pain of hell. Somebody told me years ago, don't ever joke about hell, because real people are going there. Ever since, I get broken when I think somebody rejecting the Son of God and fall into this lie that all religions are the same and all the ways lead to God and fall for that lie from the pit of hell. And then they discover it is the absolute falsehood. I believe that the day is coming, and maybe sooner than we think, when we're going to hear the angels and the saints singing, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise. At the end of things, there's going to be no greater glory than that of Jesus. There'll be no higher name than the name of Jesus. There will be no more brilliant splendor than the splendor of Jesus. Nothing in the whole universe shall compare with His surpassing majesty. Oh, but you would never see this judging from the beginning in a manger in Bethlehem of Judea. So let me recap. Don't judge things by what? Don't judge the end things by their... Thirdly and finally, this paradox of Christmas teaches us to make room for Jesus by making room for others. Making room for them, especially who are lost in their sin and don't know it. Make room for those who are suffering for Christ. Make room for those who are persecuted. Make room for those who need the Savior but don't know it. Make room in your time 
to witness to others, make room in your time to tell others that Jesus saves repentant sinners, that Jesus forgives repentant sinners, that Jesus loves repentant sinners, that Jesus welcomes repentant sinners, that Jesus restores repentant sinners, that Jesus fills empty hearts, that Jesus fills lonely lives, that Jesus mends broken hearts. And He often does so by using His children. And don't you ever forget, as I'm about to close, don't ever forget, don't ever forget, those of you who know Jesus, don't ever forget, that's something I will never forget, that we too were once strangers and aliens from the commonwealth of God, that once we were at enmity with God. I was a fully grown man when I shook my fist at God. I was at enmity with God. We were once cut off from the plan of God. We were once living in sin and marred by guilt. We were once were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God sent somebody to tell us the good news. It was Wednesday, the 4th of March, 1964, that God sent someone to tell me the good news. Now it's our privilege to tell others about the, His unbelievable love, His incomprehensible love, His indescribable gift of salvation. And so, my beloved friends, we cannot keep that news to ourselves. For those of you who know Jesus, you can't keep it to yourself. Those days are gone. God is gathering His elect from every corner of the globe. God is gathering His elect. The time is near. But I want to speak for a moment to the person who has never committed his or her life to Jesus, never really they heard the message so many times, they become inoculated. they really like a, a callus. You know how a callus can take place? You just rub the skin for quite a while, and it becomes hard. And you've heard the message, and he said, Oh, ho-hum, this is another Christmas. Don't do it again. Come to him while the door is open, because tomorrow the door might be closed. The great thing about our God is there is no secret that's hid from him. Nothing. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He's the search of our hearts. He knows the depth of our soul. And the amazing thing for me is that he knew what a foul person I was, and yet he loved me. And you cannot go too far from him to reach out to you with his love. Just simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know it. Guilt is killing me. Forgive all my sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your blood cleanse me from all my failures and sins. And Lord Jesus, come live in me in the person of your Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen and amen. Amen. 